When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake and here with me today is Darius Dale of 42 Macro. Hi there, Darius. Aggie, what's up? Happy New Year. How are you? Same, same to you. I was going to say Happy New Year, but it doesn't feel that way today, does it? I mean, we were just sort of watching these markets fall apart right before uh, we came on air. And there is a lot to unpack. Uh, the prospect of a more aggressive Federal Reserve really hitting markets late in the day in the minutes from their December meeting, FOMC committee members discussed reducing the balance sheet shortly after raising rates, whether they should do that or not, as a way to ease back support for the economy. And boy, the markets did not like the sound of that. And you rightly pointed out, like, when's the last time Fed minutes, FOMC minutes move the market like this? It's been a it's been a long time, but that kind of gives you a, a sense of what's happening. So just to wrap it up for those who who may be out and away from their computer listening to this, uh, stocks, U.S. stocks lower across the board. They're still settling, but the selling accelerated into the close, which is something that you don't really want to see happen. The Dow down uh, almost 400 points, 1%. S&P down almost 2%. NASDAQ taking the brunt of it again with technology down three and a third percent. The VIX down, uh, the VIX up rather 18. The Russell down 3%. And you saw it in bond yields as well. The 10-year up to 1.7. Um, and those FOMC minutes, by the way, came on the heels of a hot ADP number, which was swamped by that news. But private payrolls rose just over 800,000 in December. That was double expectations. You know, so all of this really pointing to a different environment at what comes to the Fed. Um, what would you make of it all, Darius? Well, yeah, you know that uh, that 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 hashtag new year, new you, I think we got a new year, new Fed, and, and it's going to have market impact. Uh, this is something uh, we've been talking about in this program at nauseum for several months. And I think today we got a preview of what, you know, the broader balance of 2022 could look like. Uh, if you think about a Federal Reserve that is no longer aiding and abetting uh, fiscal authority, that is no longer you know sort of um, you know dumping cash into the economy, and that comes with it a whole different set of asset allocation implications. And uh, you know, unfortunately, I think investors are going to have to wake up to the fact that uh, you know we were joking about this earlier, but the 2022 could be the year uh, of the bumper sticker, the banner, the headline for 2022 could be the year where unrealized gains turn into realized losses. <laughs> Yeah, because that's, yeah. That's, and, that's and that's true. Everyone felt good looking at those amazing gains um, in their portfolio, but they're on paper right now, right? Yeah. And so a lot of people um, are probably worried about that. Uh, you know, we really haven't been in this environment, have we? You know, like we have been on this streak of equities outperforming. There is no alternative. You know, everyone, you know, piling in, even if you were. Feeling like things got toppy the last three years. If you tried to be more conservative, you got burned. I mean, you just that was that was not working. Where does us leave? Where does that leave us now? Both from a price action point of view and psychologically as well. Well, I think the biggest issue, obviously, is the fact that you know it's happening sooner than investors really would hope for it. 
um, or certainly have uh, planned and or positioned for that. Um, if you think about uh, what the minutes today implied, uh, effectively, they're, they're willing to tie quantitative tightening, a reduction in the Fed's balance sheet, uh, to the uh, to the onset of uh, interest rates uh, interest rate hikes, the the timing of liftoff, which is very much likely uh, going to be March. We've been saying this in our analysis. Um, if you look at our forecast or core PCE, where they're likely to be at various intervals into those you know four SCP Fed meetings this year, uh, we always thought March was a live meeting, and I think the the minutes today confirmed that. But what the minutes today sort of surprised us, and to me, I think you have to give a golf clap to Jake Powell for giving us a Santa Claus rally because he could have very easily had this conversation a few weeks ago in terms of the the committee's willingness to have a very open and honest debate about quantitative tightening uh, and actually pulling that forward uh, really into the early part of 2022. Uh, but he obviously held off and didn't want to spook the markets at that particular interval because they were already accelerating the tapering and getting investors set up for more than two rate hikes in 2022. So, um, you know, it's all it's all happening sooner. It's all happening faster. And that that sort of speed of the change, as we talk about in our research, I think we do some of the best research in the world on this. The speed of the change matters. The direction of travel matters, but uh, almost sometimes as important as the speed of the change right now, policy is changing in a very, very quick, uh, quick manner. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And, and because you look at that so closely, I, I want to kind of focus on what happened in some of the markets today. There's a lot of questions about, you know, whether this can be orderly, whether the economy can withstand this change. But, le- but let's drill down on, on what we saw. And again, because we, we saw that deterioration at the end of the day, we, we started to get a sense of this in the bond market before we saw it in stocks, didn't we? I mean, we've had, um, for those of you who watch the bond market, and it's frankly not all of us on a daily basis, you know, most people are kind of more glued to their the equity part of their portfolio because we've all been sitting in mostly equity. Oh, no um, can I interject? <laughs> Nobody's yeah. long bonds. Nobody's nope, long cash. Right. It's been two, two, you can, yeah, two consecutive years almost where you've gotten very, you've, you've done very poorly to have asset allocations and fixed income and asset allocations and cash. Obviously, high beta risk assets have been the place to be uh, really since going back to the, the, the nadir of the pandemic. But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, jump in anytime. That's right. So we haven't been watching the bond market, but for those who do, um, especially in the macro world, we've seen big moves. I mean, bond markets don't usually move super aggressively like that and so, unless something's going on. Do you, and we saw it again this afternoon, I mean, that 10-year creeped up again to 1.7%, and the 10-year tends to be the benchmark for the U.S. Would you expect that yield to continue to move higher? I mean, what are you seeing when you look at that chart? Yeah, and and so I I think, so the answer, the short answer is yes in the short term, Um, but the reality is it's not because of the reason you think. Uh, So if you go back to what happened in the bond market, this actually started happening last week in terms of the drawdowns we've seen, um, you know, really some, some pretty material uh, drawdowns across the long end, long duration fixed income, not just in the treasury market, but really abroad. And in terms of our models, we started to uh, pick up on a breakout uh, in, in bond yields uh, in Europe in particular, uh, going back to last week, if you look at, think about the, the German boom 10-year. Um, this week, we had the 10-year gilt yield out of the UK, 10-year Swiss yield breakout, 10-year uh, JGB yield breakout. A couple weeks ago, we had the 10-year treasury yield breakout. And then this 
uh, this week, we also had the 10 year, 30 year treasury yield breakout. So we've had a lot of changes in our model in terms of our market now casting process that presaged a lot of this. And so to me, I think you really have to answer the question, which is, was this based on quantitative tightening in the bond market front running that in the Fed meetings minutes? I would tend to think part of what we're saying, yes. But I think there's another solution and another answer to that question as well. Um, if you guys can pull up the chart. So I, I did mention the, the 10-year German boom chart uh, having started to really break out in earnest in the last few weeks, and it's now bullish from the perspective of our volatility-adjusted momentum signal. But then when you look, when you sort of decompose the equity, looking into the hood, underneath the hood of the equity market, you know, we sort of look at some of these ratios as an indicator of market risk. Um, you think about kind of starting with the high beta to low beta ratio. These are high beta stocks, stocks that tend to be more volatile relative to stocks that are more defensive and, and less volatile. And that ratio bottomed, uh, you know, putting up that chart, that ratio bottom is headed higher over the last couple of weeks. The next chart, we show the value to growth ratio, which bottomed even a few weeks before that. And then, you know, so it's now really starting to, uh, it, it's actually gapping higher. And so, and then last, you haven't really seen it yet in the small cap, mega cap ratio. Um, but the reality is, you know, some of these pro-cyclical ratios are really starting to show up. And to me, I, I, we made this call going back in September. When we were in the middle of the market uh, correction. We made this call going back to October of 2020. We're in the middle of the market correction. And typically what happens when you see pro-cyclicality, when you see cyclicals leading, high beta, small caps, uh, value leading in a correction, it's a harbinger for positive things on the other side of that. Hmm. Uh, typically, when rotations happen, and those rotations tend to occur when you have a positive economic development. So guess what could be the positive economic development? Well, it could be this thing called Omicron catalyzing herd immunity for not only the U.S. economy, but for the global economy, and really ushering in a, a, you know, what we think will be a shallow positive growth impulse to start the year. Um, you know, that is the positive uh, message in all this, but obviously the negative message is that's going to be short-lived if you're taking advantage of that. Because again, we're talking about obviously a reduction in liquidity at some point this year, but could potentially be a meaningful reduction of liquidity if you think about the Fed's balance sheet kind of being near almost $9 trillion. And they might actually be very uncomfortable with that just in terms of the size of it, where it is today relative to where it was at the start of the pandemic. So so there is a, a uh, if I'm understanding you correctly, a very short-term, in this pain, a, a, a short-term pocket of opportunity. Uh, but then as we look out further into what, end of Q1, beginning of Q2, uh, you, you've got to sort of do that trade and get out because then there are even rougher waters around what's happening with the Fed. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's exactly what we're saying. That's been our call all along. I mean, I think it's been hard to stick with the call at various intervals in this, you know, kind of the second half of 2021. But we've always thought that the timing of Mar the, the the time for which investors should anticipate a meaningful rise in, in volatility, a meaningful widening in credit spreads, um, and ultimately some 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 trending pain in their portfolios was late Q1, early Q2. Um, a lot of stuff happens in late Q1, early Q2. If you think about, um, you're going to see a, a faster. Uh, it's likely, according to our models, a sharper deceleration in growth starting around that time frame. It's very likely to see a sharper deceleration in inflation around that time frame. And it's very likely that you see a meaningful reduction in liquidity starting around that time frame. And those dynamics should persist really all the way through uh, 2022 and into 2023. It doesn't mean markets have to go down that entire time. Eventually, they'll find a bottom and price it all in. But the reality is, I don't think we're anywhere near um, you know, kind of that bottom. You know, If you think about um, the last few times we've come off the peak in the global growth cycle, which we are effectively arguing um, that we're near and, and sort of cresting through, 
you know, you've seen a 35, 30, roughly 30% decline in high beta stocks relative to their low beta counterparts um, in each of those intervals. We've seen a 85 to 75 to 85% decline in Bitcoin relative to treasury bonds in each of those last three cycles. And these are market cycles that are tethered to the broader economic cycle. So this is always a risk we thought was um, going to come to fruition in 2022. And I think we got a real meaningful preview today. That doesn't mean, again, I just want to be very clear about this. I do believe in terms of our dispersion analysis and our ratio analysis, uh, looking at market internals, it's not suggestive that this is the, you know, this is the main event. Um, that last chart we have uh, showing the dispersion analysis, this is something we track on a daily basis at 42 Macro. We track all this on a daily basis at 42 Macro, by the way. These are all charts from our morning note this morning. Um, you look at the, what we're tracking is the month-over-month sharp ratio across 50 U.S. equity sectors and style factors. And what the reason we track it that way is we want to observe changes in the composition in the upper quintile relative to the lower quintile. And one thing that's really caught my attention of late is the fact that we've started to shift back towards pro-cyclicality in the upper quintile. Uh, now you have four sectors or four style factors represented in that upper quintile. You think about least shorted value, least shorted high debt value, and now you have uh, least shorted high beta. So investors are starting to get tiptoe back into cyclicals, you know, kind of in the in the more safer categories. You know, they're not in you know most shorted high beta stocks trying to yolo it, uh, but they're certainly seeing that. And the reason I bring this up again is because when you see that 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 reemergence of pro cyclicality in the upper quintile in a market decline. It typically is a harbinger of a real positive move higher. Again, the last two times this happened during a market decline was September of 2021 and October of 2020. So be aware of that. When you're talking about those the, the, that, that, those sectors, you know what what would they look like for for someone who's listening to it? You know, um, for the average person listening to it, what 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 kind of industries or stocks are they? Yeah, so I mean, if you think about where the value trade is generally concentrated, it's generally concentrated in you know kind of the heavy stuff that hurts when you drop it on your foot. Uh, it's the you know the, the materials, industrials, uh, obviously financials uh, tend to be um, that that way as well. You know, and it, you know, it's financials been value my entire career for a variety of different reasons. But um, you know, so that tends to be um, you know kind of the you know the what what's happened in the QE era is because we had so much financial compression or repression that you know sort of the you know the, the secular grower, the high quality compounders, as they call them in Boston, um, those types of stocks have really gotten a, a real valuation premium. In so much that the traditional bond proxies like utilities, consumer staples, REITs, healthcare, those types of stocks have also gotten a valuation premium. So if you want to slice and dice value versus growth that way, or or high or high valued stocks versus low valued stocks, that's a really easy way to do it from an industry perspective. Which is super helpful. Um, we, we have a question um, from Goncalo on the exchange. Um, and it's it's pretty technical. Um, in your conversation with Gem and RV, for those who didn't watch it, that's on that's on the platform. You guys talk about a good strategy right now is stock replacement to bet on fat tails. Is mm -hmm. this because volatility will be higher this year, and the right bet is to get exposed to a melt up or melt down, but not a normal market? Could you explain the rationale and maybe explain a little of those technicals as well, if you could, Darius, for those who didn't see that interview? Yeah, absolutely. So you guys are going to get about like 5% of Jim Carson when I reply. So just be aware of that. Uh, no, Jim's uh, one of the world's best at what he does. And I'm only going to pretend to be in for a few minutes here. But um, I think, you know, my interpretation of, of, of what Jim was discussing in the terms of stock replacement is the fact that vol is really low now, but it's expected to widen and widen materially in his forecast. And I do, I do share a lot of the same views in terms of the market risk uh, dynamics we'll see this year. And so because vol is low now, and you're expecting large uh, tail risk moves, 
the, the, the reality is you, if you want to stay long, it's a lot smarter and a lot, uh, it carries much better to be long a call spread as opposed to being long the actual underlying. Um, you know, the being long the underlying just exposes you to, you know, that leptarchotic tail risk in terms of maybe you Matt relt up, let's see the S&P touches 5,000, but then goes back to 3,500 in a straight line. You know, so that's the kind of um, risk you want to avoid, um, and, and sort of you can mitigate that kind of uh, downside, that, that volatility in your portfolio by just simply stock replacing it with a call spread. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and and it, it, from what you just said a moment ago, it sounds like we could be in a situation where it's not going to be this straight line down either. You know, the way it was, we we did really see that kind of you know rally after rally on the way up. It sounds like they're going. It's going to be volatile and it's going to bounce around because you just said that there's you know you may see that value, but then you're going to get into the that really tricky part of next year where the Fed is going to be implementing some of this stuff if it comes to it. So it sounds like it's going to be a lot of volatility. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I, I try to, I very much try to, I, I, I lean permable just because, you know, I started in this business in, in, you know, the spring of 2009 and obviously it's been a straight ride up since then. So, uh, just in terms of my own market experience, you know, I, I tend not to bet against, uh, asset markets and the ingenuity that we have in this economy and in this society. Um, but I think it's very easy. Um, and I think I've seen a lot of investors sort of get to this, this point. I think it's very easy to paint a secular bear, mark, uh, bear, you know, bear bearish outlook for the market. And the reason I say that uh, is, is sort of twofold. One, we're coming from a really asymmetrically high level in growth, not just in the US economy, but also in the global economy. If you think about um, obviously growing at about 5 to 6% real here in the US, um, expectations for 2022 are somewhere around just shy of 4%, which is almost a double of where the trend growth rate is. And so you're talking about, you know, we could have multiple years. Either we're going to have a very sharp slowdown back towards or through trend, or we're going to have a multi year deceleration whereby the Fed, the Fed put is significant, struck significantly lower as a function of the inflation pressure we're going to have in the economy um, over the next few years. And so it's, you know, we don't, we're not going to, you know, we're going to have this multi, potentially multi-year or very sharp slowdown in economic activity, whereby the Fed can't just bail out the market. They're actually, they're now, their main objective at this point, in our opinion, is fighting inflation in line with the Biden administration trying to salvage whatever they, uh, political capital they have into the midterm elections. Mm. And and you know addressing the the real pain that's being felt on Main Street for people who you know for any wage gain they're getting is being eaten away uh, by inflation, which the, the the Fed is surely seeing. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. We, I, I want to switch gears slightly. We have a question uh, from RAR about um, the PRC's new wallet um, and, and, you know, some action we saw on the Hong Kong share price. Uh, Ash Bennington actually has been looking into this for us, as we know, Ash across all things crypto uh, and uh, specifically taking a look at China launching an app. This is what this question references, launching an app for its uh, government-issued digital currency to try to expand usage. This is a really interesting story, and Ash has a little bit more. Let's have a listen. Hey, guys. I just wanted to give you a quick update on a story that caught my eye last night. The PBOC, that's the People's Bank of China, the Central Bank of China, launched a pilot 
wallet app for their CBDC. Uh, that's their central bank digital currency, ECNY. That's the digital one. This is China's central bank digital currency project launching a wallet controlled by the central bank. Now, China already has digital payment rails in place, specifically TenPay and Alipay, but these are controlled by private companies, not the central bank itself. Uh, this is a theme that we've seen rising throughout the world. Uh, the Bank of Jamaica also just completed its CBDC pilot project. This is a really interesting story here for a couple of reasons. First, I know there's some confusion out there. People may be wondering, didn't China just ban Bitcoin mining and now they seem to be getting ahead of this? Well, this is a really important point for people to understand. CBDCs, central bank digital currencies on the one hand, and public permissionless cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are two totally different animals. On the one hand, you have a digital currency that's controlled directly by a central bank, which is why it's so important that the central bank of China, the PBOC, is launching their own wallet. And on the other hand, Bitcoin and other permissionless public blockchains that countries, governments, and central banks cannot control. So this is a really important distinction for people out there who may be wondering, thinking this might be a contradiction or reversal, of course. It's not. It's actually more of the same. This is a fascinating story and one we're definitely going to keep an eye on. Back to you, Maggie. And as Ash said, we will continue uh, to keep a very close eye on that story and all developments around that. Darius, I'd like to just pivot back to what we saw in crypto today. As we mentioned, um, Bitcoin, Ethereum uh, getting taken down with the drawdown. Um, both of them, I think at last check, were off about 5% 5, 5 Bitcoin, 6% uh, on Ethereum. Oh, no, about five and a half. So they came back a little bit right at the end. Um, you mentioned earlier that we've seen we've seen declines along with the rest of the market or trading in tandem with risk assets before. What are you expecting there? What are your charts telling you there when it comes to Bitcoin? Yeah, so I mean, look, um, Bitcoin and Ethereum been bearish uh, for a couple of weeks now in our in terms of our volatility adjustable momentum signal. Um, not traditionally bearish price action, but you know, or, or, or you know, significantly bearish price action, but you know, been bearish enough to to register that signal. So that's been kind of a lone holdout in terms of you know, kind of the broader risk appetite, the re-risking appetite that we saw uh, into towards the end of December into the early part of the year. But you know, I think when you talk about crypto, it's like, man, this is the asset class concerns me, and not because of you know, kind of the policy dynamics that we're talking about. You know, again, I've just been talking about this for eighteen months now. Which is, you know, the asset class is only going to get more correlated with broader risk assets. I mean, it's almost by it's impossible to escape that if you talk about institutional adoption. Institutional investors have risk constraints. You know, bar blows out in a particular part of the security, they have to take down their risks. Bar blows out in the entire book somewhere else in the equity market or credit markets, they have to take down their risk. And so, um, if the bull case on crypto is institutional adoption. Investors in the cryptocurrency space have to accept the fact that it's going to get increasingly correlated um, to the, the price moves in the S and P and the, and the Nasdaq and things of that nature. Um, the one thing I would really say, I think, you know, going back to this whole market risk dynamic, you know, I'm not. If you told me today was the start of the the correction, I've been anticipating, you know, kind of late Q1, early Q2 is the commencement of that. Let's say we pull that forward today, and you know, everything I just said about the dispersion analysis winds up being wrong. The number one asset class that concerns me, not just from a delta perspective, because obviously crypto is more volatile, but to me, I think in terms of the amount of pain it can inflict uh, on a very large number of people in a very short order. And the reason I say that is because a lot of investors are generally net long of this asset class. If you go back to the, the kind of the March of 2020, a lot of investors are, are much longer of high beta risk assets relative to what their strategic objectives 
investment objectives would tell them to be. Um, and that's because, one, it's, it's been a really foolish, again, as we said earlier, it's been really foolish to be long of cash and bonds throughout this uh, period, uh, for the most part throughout this period. Uh, but more importantly, that's where all the returns have been. That's where all the funds have been. That's where all the options YOLOing and all that stuff has been. And so, to me, my biggest, you know, going back to the, the statement I made at the beginning of the presentation, it's like, hey, 2022 could be the year where all those unrealized gains turn into realized losses. And the reason I say that is because when everyone is on one side of the boat in the trade, you try to book gains, guess what? There's nobody lifting the offers. There's nobody, I mean, the price just gaps down because there's no, no market maker wants to, to, uh, to warehouse that risk. They're not allowed to warehouse that risk if you think about all the regulatory changes we've seen in, in recent years and uh, over the last decade or so. So to me, I, I just worry about you know the actual growth, inflation, and policy setting not being that bearish yet. But the actual sort of market dynamics, the liquidity in financial markets could actually be significantly worse as a function of the starting point with everybody on one side of the boat. And so to me, I think that's something to watch out for. I think that's really important, Darius. And there are some people that would suggest that there aren't even the market makers out there anymore to take that risk, that you know, the rise of passive passive investing and you yeah. know, some of the other dynamics we've seen have also created the situation that there's not a really an apparatus on the yeah. downside, if that were to happen. I think we have Armin asking, would you sell NASDAQ high beta stocks or tech stocks on the recent weakness? I think the question is, how do you, not whether you sell them, but what can you do in a situation where you want to lighten up and everyone's trying to get out through the same small door? No, you, they won't get, you won't get out through the same small door. That's the obvious answer. Um, I think uh, Armand, or uh, sorry, I mispronounced the name, but you know, I think every investor needs to sit down, and this is something we try to help investors do on a daily basis at our firm. Obviously, we're not, you know, no one's perfect at, at this job; it's very difficult. But I think every investor, and I'm really serious about this, needs to sit down, observe their portfolio, categorize all the securities, you know, figure out what percentage of their portfolio is is high beta risk asset, figure out what percentage of their portfolio is low beta something else. And if that high beta risk asset percentage goes down by 20% or more, are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with that size of a P&L drawdown? Because I think that's a very likely scenario. It's, a, it's in our opinion, that's a, like a median middle of the distribution scenario for something that we should see in 2022, just given the growth, inflation, and policy dynamics that we've been forecasting and now starting to, to, to receive and to, or sorry, rather to realize. And so I, I want everybody at home watching, do that exercise. If you're comfortable with that amount of exposure, high beta risk asset exposure, you know that's totally fine. Maintain maintain exposure. You don't need to get out to the same crowded door. My fear is that a lot of investors, that slice of the pie that says high beta risk asset is much, much larger than they would otherwise be comfortable being in the context of their strategic investment objectives. And that worries me. You, you, the other interesting point in that is, you know, in the past when we've seen those, those, you know, asset drawdowns or, you know, or corrections or, or pain, uh, the Fed has been there. You mentioned the Fed put before. The Fed has been there and responded um, and, and changed policy, walked it back, you know, walked back tapering. It, th there is a sense that maybe this time things are different and they won't. Can they stay on the sideline if they start to see a market that is not functioning in an orderly fashion? Well, here's the big risk, right? As long as inflation is still really elevated, and we think they have at least you know nine, twelve months before it's back at a level where they could even entertain the possibility of pivoting back to easy, which is, in our opinion, which creates a lot of the market risk. 
Um, you know, uh, Jim made uh, Jim Carson in our in our uh, recent video, in our recent discussion, uh, made a, a funny joke, but I thought it was a perfect analogy of what's happening right now. The Fed there's no longer we don't have a Fed put anymore. The Fed is selling golfs. You know, and that's the real reality of the situation. We're very early in the process of the removing liquidity from financial markets. It's only going to get worse and worse and worse. And the only saving grace for asset markets between now and let's say lift off or when they actually start quantitative tightening, um, which you know could obviously be as soon as three or four months from now, the only saving grace that could get risk assets, get that final little push higher in stock markets and in cryptocurrency markets and things of that nature is again, this sort of pandemic dynamic. We can't, we can't lose focus of that. It's not all about the Fed. You know, the whole world could be emerging from the COVID-19 pandemic in a matter of weeks in terms of Omicron burning through societies and catalyzing, you know, not herd immunity. I, I kind of hate that, that, that phrase, but something that looks like herd immunity enough to, quote unquote, get back to normal and reopen the services sector economies, unlock global supply chains to the extent that they can. Obviously, China's got its own uh, zero COVID policy. That'll still be an issue. But, you know, if we do see that, that is positive. That's going to be a positive dynamic. I don't understand how you could restrain uh, risk appetite in that synetic setting, because again, it's not always just what the what is the Fed doing, what's growth doing, what inflation doing, isolation. All these different dynamics matter at various intervals. So, you know, my base case scenario, kind of to wrap up, is I do believe you could see a bounce from you know some. Uh, we're going to correct. Who knows what the correction is? Is it a five percent correction we're engaged in now? Is it a seven eight percent correction? Who knows? Could it be eight percent? But I do believe you're going to see another bounce. Associated with the pandemic is over trade because that's what our uh, that's what our intermarket signals are telling us. Um, but beyond that, I, I just think you got you're going to have to sell. I mean, and that to me is that that's the issue, right? If everyone knows that and everyone's positioning for this, get the heck out of the dodge trade before the the, the movie theater burns all the way down. You're going to see a lot of selling pressure in any rally. Um, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of fading that. So. I don't know, man. It's gonna it's gonna be a hard year to risk manage. I said this. I've been saying this for a long time. We're coming out of a very unique time period. In fact, I said it on Real Vision um, in you know I think I want to say in December of 2020. I said, look, 2021, and you guys can all go fact check me on this. I said 2021 is going to be a record year in terms of you know kind of upside participation in, in risk assets. And the reason for that, we have we're gonna have five things happening all at the same time that almost never happen. One, uh, growth acceleration, accelerating, inflation is accelerating, corporate profit growth is accelerating, record monetary easing, record fiscal easing. Now, we basically have all five of those things going in the exact opposite direction. And so I'm sitting here on Real Vision, you know, kind of 12, 13 months later, basically saying the opposite. Um, hopefully, you guys made money on that call then, and I hope everyone doesn't lose a lot of money on this call now. That's right. Well, we're going to do our best here to help. People try to navigate through it, and um, and you know, thankfully, we have some people who've spent a lot of time in the market and have experienced these kind of periods before. So hopefully, we can gain some wisdom from them. And we appreciate your wisdom always, Darius. Thank you so much. We got to leave it there. Ash Bennington will be back same time tomorrow with Tommy Thornton. He's been around. He's seen a lot of it. Interested to hear what he has to say. And he's also been concerned about that liquidity. Everyone trying to leave at the same time, Riz. So he'll some, have some thoughts on that. Until then, the conversation continues on the exchange. Thanks for watching and listening. Listening. Take care and good luck out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads.
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.